This feature was made possible by Bush Radio 89.5 FM and Cultural Survival. I would definitely suggest that history be rewritten in our textbooks for school and university or tertiary level education. Because if our people of color can understand that they were first, they would understand that now in the last, they are still powerful and still relevant and still called upon to lead and still called upon to use their natural resources to impact and transform the world. So I recommend this highly to schools and tertiary level education systems. And if we look at modern day apartheid, we look at how people of color, the Khoi Khoi and the Sand descendants is still people who is hugely marginalized and hugely forgotten because now it is still a fight between black and white and we forget about the indigenous people of the country and so if there's any form of apartheid that is actually being practiced from back then up until today it would be the inequality of having to give the people the first indigenous people of our country the opportunity to lead and rule their own places When we look at history and having to teach history in our schools that is equivalent to our own people, we discover that we cannot teach a European or a white predominance or dominance history to our children because there is no relevance and that is why there is such an influx even up until today over many, many generations where people drop history and take mathematics because it is more active jobs to, to go into being a doctor or in Scientology and we forget that we should actually teach our own history so that people would know their power. So teaching history, whether it is oral or whether it is through storytelling, is very important for our people to find relevance in who they are as a people of power is having to find that story and owning their narrative and actually beginning to act like their forefathers have failed to act or act how their forefathers have acted in the times when they have received positive results. You see, you can only be negative about something 
that has never been given to you in a positive. And if we look at our textbooks and our history books that is being expedited in the schools and being placed as a form of education, we realize that the predominance of black and white history overshadows the indigenous history of our country, which is actually our people of color. And so the fact that our people don't like to be called Bushman and the fact that our people don't like to be called Hotentot, which is actually after the sound of their dance and their, their chanting, we don't like to be called something because it has never been given to us in a positive light. You cannot own something that you have never been given the power over. And so our people is ashamed of being who they are because they were never told the truth of who they were. My name is Ricardo Ertin. Uh, I studied humanities in line with social science. And the reason why I studied this was because I have always had a dream of helping people to own who they really are. And this is not because of the people of color. I only found this passion later on for our own people's history. But I still believe that every person's history has treasures. And if we can pick up and find and discover and look through the rubble of the hurt and the negativity that our people has faced, no matter what type of people it is, white, black, colored, Indian, whatever, if we can find the histories, the, the, the traces of our past in our history, then I'm sure that we would be able to cope with the mechanisms that the negative impact and the negative labeling of today is giving our people, we would actually be much stronger if we owned our narrative and we found the treasures in our past. internationally recognized definition of the term indigenous peoples and in fact it has been argued that the establishment of a formal definition is unnecessary and undesirable. Rather the international community has attempted to identify a number of key characteristics which serve as guidelines for identifying indigenous peoples. South African Human Rights Commissioner Chris Nissan speaks about indigenous people's definition. The issue around indigenous people in South Africa and on the continent is a bit contentious because uh, people say uh, it's a matter of who came first, who came last, who's on the continent, etc. So that's why even internationally you find that uh, whereas the Latin American people are very, very strong on this, this the definition of indigenous people and, and pushing it very, very hard. From the Africa side, we still kind of debate what is, who is, who came here, who came last, and people say I'm First Nation and you came afterwards and etc. So it's very difficult to, to say this is the indigenous people. But what is clear, what is very clear in terms of this region of Africa is that the Khoi and the Sun were here long, long before 
any other grouping. But we must also understand migration. Because the hunter-gatherers, you moved all over the, 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 the continent and perhaps uh, you'll find out that in Mozambique, um, the Sutu, you find in Angola, you find Namibia, Botswana, you find paintings of the sun people. So it means that, you know, the migratory patterns of, of, of peoples over the years and so on. But what is very, very clear is that the Khoi and Sun people were, 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 were part of that original group of indigenous people on the continent. Very interesting. Between uh, Harlem and, and Jobertina in the southern Cape part, eastern Cape, they found a mummy of more than 2,000 years. And that's two, 12 years ago. And this mummy, I, I suspect it's probably the only sub-Saharan mummy, it's partly intact. It lies, it was buried in the normal fetal position with his hands tied to his ankles. And from the top to the bottom, to the middle, to his waist, he's full, fully intact, fully intact. And part, the other parts are parts, you can see the flesh and the skin and, and the skin in which he, the mummy was buried. They estimate that he was 33 years old. Uh, at the time of finding uh, or damn it, burial and then it's being kept in Albany Museum in Makanda, Grahamstown and I had the privilege of seeing it and it goosebumps, everything just went down, you know and on his head there was a string of pitch black hair that runs across his head otherwise it's all mummified and you can see that the skin in which he was buried it is believed that he was embalmed with bossy chif, poliki and the, obviously the other parts were exposed either to animals or to or to the weather, but it's very interesting. So if you look into things like that, and if you look at the rock paintings, how many years, thousands and thousands of years, the, the, the old and so on. So, but I don't think we should really use the definition of indigenous people uh, to divide the people in, on the continent and divide people in Southern Africa and in South Africa, and not to have a, a mentality or narrative that says us and them, who came here first, when, the whole thing is that what is the position of the Khoisan, the Sun and the, and the Khoi in terms of their remnants and their people. So let us then say, home into and say the Khoi and Sun has got a place and its history, its culture, its language should not be written out of history and they should be given a place in the Sun. You must also understand that the Khoi and the Sun were not on their own. For example, the Nguni language was influenced by the Khoisan, therefore the clicks in the Nguni comes from the various dialects of the San Nguni. But if you go to, for example, into the Eastern Cape, just about, say, 80 kilometers from Fort Beaufort or something like that, you go into Sea. just before you get Sea, there's a place called Mtwakasi. Mtwa was the Khosa word for sun, for Bushmen, and um, Kazi means women. And that was the place where uh, many warriors went to, to marry Khoisan women, a Sun women. Like the great warrior Nwele married three Khoisan women, three Sun women in that area. But that in that whole area, there's a, there, there used to be a tribe called Amakunu Kwebe tribe. Amakunu Kwebe tribe was a Khosa Khoi Khoi tribe in the house of the Amakalekas Pansikum Kumkani Nweka at the time and was led by a chief called Pato. So, and therefore, you know, in that area, there was in the Batlepeng of Northwest, also with the Koranas and the Hrikwas. So all over there were interaction. And if you look, for example, at, 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 at Lesotho, the, Mushe, the King Mushesha married a number of Sun women, you know, in order to political consolidation. 
and if you just think about the sun in that area. So historically, I obviously, as hunter-gatherers, you know, they have all sorts of interactions with many people, including the settlers that came here. So the languages, there were more than 16 dialects, there were travel roamed all over the, the, the southern, southern Africa. And one of the things one must understand is that before they weren't, they weren't very violent. And because the structure of the, of the Koyan sun weren't in terms of hierarchy, you know. So there are people that dispute this with me because it, we were egalitarian society, all were equal. So you did not have a one person, a king and all of those because king means power. Power means we need to have a military. So we never had a military. There were no soldiers, except when the settlers landed here, that was the skirmish in it. And therefore, in the, amongst the sun in particular, you walk away from an argument because otherwise if you use the, the arrow, the arrow is always loaded with poison and the arrow is an instrument of bringing food on the table, not to hurt somebody else. According to the National Hearing Report on the Human Rights of the Khoisan made on the 14th of March 2018, Section 6.3 Access to Land and Basics states that various international law instruments recognize the right of indigenous peoples to own, use, develop and control lands, territories and resources, as well as the right to determine and develop priorities and strategies for development. In addition to this, indigenous people have the right to maintain and strengthen their distinctive spiritual relationship with the traditionally owned or otherwise occupied and used lands, territories and natural resources and to uphold their responsibilities to future generations in this regard. Indigenous communities are entitled to obtain adequate redress or compensation for disposition of land and territories and must be consulted by the state or private parties in relation to development or other projects which may impact indigenous communities. South African Human Rights Commissioner Chris Neeson explains access to land and basic services. If you look at the access to land and basic services, access to land and basic services, it's a constitutional right. It's a right that we cannot take from people. It's a right that we need to protect. It's a right that we need to promote and to monitor. And that's why I say going through our analysis, what we saw, and we need to make a distinction here, is the land, land as the land of the people to be returned. What made people angry was when the current government took a decision to have a cut-off in 1913 with the Land Act of 1913 that pushed people into Bantustans and so on. The Khoisan, Khoyan San, obviously have been deprived of their land. And the children of the Khoyan San needs to be compensated. You know, in the, under the Dutch, in the VOC, East Indian Dutch Company, actually it wasn't a government but was a company, a transnational <laughs> capitalist company that came here and what they did, they tried, not tried, they did, they killed the indigenous people. Now, there's a story, which is true, I think one of the missionaries records that. Apart from the diseases like the smallpox, they hunted down and if you kill a man, that's X number of currency that you get, that's dollars. If you kill the woman, you get double, but you must bring both breasts to show. So our people were hunted down. You know, so there was genocide and the smallpox, the fact that our people were brutalized, killed, murdered, hunted down like animals. And so we have never spoken about that openly. But this current government or the government needs to look at that and say there was historical injustice, genocide and murder. How do we compensate that? How do we compensate that for that? 
We now say 1913 is the cutoff for the land. People were here, and so they need to be compensated. And then if it's now, whether it is a collective developmental or whether it's individual, or families that can trace back and say, here we have been, this has been our land, like the former president of Mbekiti, with David Kuyper, by returning Vitadrai. Can you imagine the pain of people having to look at the Khalakhadi and say, but those were our places where we hunted. And so today, in that, also people say, we're in a place to hunt. Now we say you can't go back to an economy, a hunting economy, but you must be allowed, like anybody else, like who hunts on farms, that you can also get a permit and to go and hunt and that you're entitled to, to the animal. You see, so those are the kind of things. Where can people hunt today? Only on farms. And farmers don't allow anybody else, his friends and others that pays him X amount to come and hunt. And now you have to pay for it, you know. So we need to look at those things. So the land must be restored in one form or the other. But the problem that we face, particularly, I've seen this now in my interaction with many groupings, it's that the old sin of not standing together, the old sin of not standing together is, in my view, going to be a reason why full realization of the rights of the Koyan son will not be seen. According to the National Yearing Report on the Human Rights of the Khoisan made on the 14th of March 2018, under Section 6.3, Indigenous communities are dependent on access to land and natural resources for traditional livelihoods and material sustenance. The historical disposition and forced removal of Indigenous peoples from land has given rise to increased poverty, cultural erosion and at times assimilations of Indigenous peoples into other more dominant social groups. The importance of land for indigenous communities goes beyond its economic or productive value but must be interpreted within the context of traditional and customary values of indigenous peoples themselves. The ancestors of indigenous persons lived and were buried on the land where sacred places are revered and their history, indigenous knowledge, cultures and traditional practices were developed on the land Indigenous peoples maintain a close spiritual relationship with the land. Be benefiting from the land and not be saying, oh, we'll give you a little piece of that and that. And that. But that's why uh, when we make those recommendations, we make those recommendations on the basis of a dignity, identity, land and culture. This feature was made possible by Bush Radio 89.5 FM and Cultural Survival. Come on, come on.